Welcome to The Wisdom Journey with Stephen Davey. I'll be back after today's lesson because we have a free resource for you today. But first, have you ever been misunderstood? Have you spoken the truth only to have that truth rejected? If so, you can take comfort in knowing that that was Jesus' experience as well. And like Jesus, we should use those occasions to warn those who resist the gospel. Stephen called this lesson a pardon in his pocket. One of the most colorful characters in Western history was the Prime Minister of England, Winston Churchill. Having read his biography, it was obvious people either loved him or hated him. And he had a very sharp tongue that didn't help. In fact, it's often been reported that one day a woman who was constantly after him, a political archenemy, so to speak, said to him on one occasion at a public reception, Mr. Churchill, if I were your wife, I would put poison in your tea. Churchill responded, Madam, if you were my wife, I would gladly drink it. Well, you can, you can just imagine that interaction didn't help their friendship one little bit. Well, if you do read his biography, it strikes me that it's pretty clear that Churchill and the Lord had nothing in common except for this fact. Jesus was also either loved or hated during his earthly ministry. Now, over the next several episodes of our wisdom journey, as we go through the Gospels chronologically, we're going to cover the events of just one day in the Lord's ministry. The Gospels give us the details of only 52 days in the ministry of Christ. Matthew, Mark, and Luke give us a lot of details, however, about this one particular day called by many Jesus's busiest day. Let me tell you ahead of time, this particular day will mark the beginning of a shift from a a public ministry to more of a private ministry among his closest disciples. And that that shift begins rather dramatically as Jesus and his disciples return home there to Capernaum. Uh, We're told that the crowds immediately gather. They are in awe of his messianic power and claims. Uh, The problem is, one of the problems is the Lord's own family has a different perspective. We're told here in Mark chapter 3 and verse 20, Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. Imagine that. The half-brothers and half-sisters of Jesus think he's lost his mind. And they've come to, to seize him, literally to forcibly take him away, maybe get him some professional counseling. Now, this rather chaotic moment, back in Matthew's gospel in chapter 12, we read in verse 22, a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? Well, the son of David here is a reference to the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. Now, when you combine Matthew and Mark's accounts of this moment, we find that the Pharisees and the scribes are 
are, are pretty upset about the fact that Jesus uh, could deliver this demonized individual. In fact, they know that that kind of power is a messianic sign. Mark's gospel in chapter 3 and verse 22 tells us, they were saying he is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. Beelzebul was the name of an ancient Phoenician god, and it's used here for Satan, the prince of demons. See, the scribes and Pharisees can't deny a miracle took place, but they are so opposed to Jesus, they say to the crowd, effectively, this is Satan working in and through Jesus. Well, Jesus responds to them here in verse 23, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. In other words, use some some common sense. If I am empowered by Satan, why would I cast out a demon? I mean, put your thinking cap on, for goodness sakes. Well, he illustrates in verse 27 by pointing out here that a burglar can't enter the house of a strong man and rob it until he first ties up the strong man. Jesus is saying, I am invading the territory of Satan, which proves I can tie him up. I'm stronger than Satan. I'm not empowered by Satan. Now, this all should have been obvious, but the minds of these religious leaders are closed to the obvious. They're rejecting the truth. They're claiming that Jesus is now empowered by Satan rather than God's Spirit. Let me tell you, that's some pretty serious blasphemy. In fact, Jesus says here in in verse 29, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Now, many people look at that and refer to that as the unpardonable sin. But I don't want you to misunderstand. Jesus can forgive every sin. This particular sin is beyond forgiveness only because they are rejecting Jesus, who alone can forgive sin. Now, there's more here within the context of Jesus offering to Israel the kingdom. This is also taking place. So this rejection of him, this claim that he's empowered by Satan, well, this becomes a part of their official national blasphemy of unbelief against their king. Now, back in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34, Jesus uh, goes on to say that his accusers' blasphemy reveals their rebellious hearts. But in spite of that, these leaders still have the audacity to ask Jesus for another sign. Now, this would almost be comical if it weren't so tragic. Remember, Jesus has just cast out a demon. (laughs) What what more sign uh, can he perform? Well, he responds to them here in verse 39. He says, the only sign they're going to get at this point is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, that sign will be uh, Jesus' resurrection after three days in the tomb. And to drive home the point, Jesus tells them here in verse 43, of an unclean spirit that goes out of a man only to return later to find the man still empty. So, The demon moves back in and brings along seven other demons, making, uh, the gospel account says, the man's last state worse than the first. Now understand, this is a reference to the nation Israel. The nation had enthusiastically responded to John the Baptist's call uh, to repentance. 
they, they cleaned out the room, so to speak. But they've refused to fill the room of their hearts now with the Messiah, which means they're now in worse shape spiritually than they were before John's ministry. Now, back over in Mark's Gospel and chapter 3, we're informed of what happens next. Jesus is in a house. He's surrounded by a huge crowd. He's, he's just cast out that demon. The religious leaders have just blasphemed him. Then somebody arrives to tell the Lord his family is outside. Remember, they're, 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 they've come along to take him away uh, for that appointment, evidently with a, with a psychiatrist. Remember, they think he's lost his mind. Well, now Jesus responds in verse 33. Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And let me tell you, this is true to this very day. If you believe the gospel of Christ, Jesus gives you the right to become children of God, the Gospel of John says in chapter 1. You're given the right to join his family, to belong to the family of God. Why? Because instead of rejecting him, you have received him. Some time ago, I read about a murderer who was on death row. His brother was a a powerful politician. And in the very last possible moment, the last hour, he persuaded the governor to offer his brother a pardon. Uh, He took that pardon, put it in his pocket, and headed over there to the prison. On the way there, he began having some doubts, and he thought, you know, maybe my brother hasn't changed. Perhaps he will murder again. So instead of going to the warden and presenting his pardon, he went directly to his brother's prison cell to visit him. And he asked his brother, listen, if you could somehow get out of here today, what would you do? His brother immediately said, I would kill every witness who testified against me, and I'd make sure that prosecutor is dead within the next 24 hours. Well, with a rather broken heart, this man left his brother's prison cell with that pardon still in his pocket. His brother was soon executed for murder. You know, I want you to consider the fact that Jesus Christ has come with a pardon in his pocket, so to speak. In fact, he is the pardon because he he took on himself the payment for your crimes, your sins, as well as mine. All he wants from you is a heart of humility and faith that says, I am willing to admit my sin. I am willing to humbly ask for forgiveness. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ as my Redeemer and King. If you haven't done that already, you can pray right now. You can ask the Lord to save you, and he will. Well, until next time, beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Stephen called this lesson a pardon in his pocket, and I hope it was a blessing to you. At the top of the program, I mentioned a free resource, and here it is. Stephen wants to equip you to think biblically about politics. 
we're going to send you an excerpt from Stephen's book called I Pledge Allegiance. People are born as citizens of their home country. But the Bible says that Christians are citizens of heaven. So Christians face a unique challenge. We have to determine where our allegiance lies. And whenever our heavenly citizenship comes in conflict with the world, we need to determine how to respond. Paul addressed this in the book of Romans, and Stephen explores this issue in his book. He clarifies the believer's responsibility as a dual citizen of heaven and earth. He also examines the relationship between the church and state. The first chapter of this book is our gift to you today. Go to wisdomonline.org forward slash allegiance. Do that now, then join us next time on this wisdom journey.